Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 12 this morning is where we'll find our place. Mark chapter 12 as we continue to walk next chapter Next verse, right through God's Word, and we come this morning to Mark chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Uh, Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word, and we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us as we spend the next few minutes studying God's Word together. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to find our place in verse number 32. So Mark, that's the book of the Bible that we're in. Chapter, that's chapter 12, that's the big number. And then the little number is verse 32. It's called a verse, all right? So if you found your place, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 32. And you'll remember, I'm just going to catch you up to speed here. You'll remember that Jesus has come under attack from the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they're asking him these seven questions in a row. This is the seventh and the last. Jesus, next week, will have a question for them. This is the seventh and the last, and this one, Jesus answers. Now, you remember, most of the questions that have been posed to Jesus, he's refused to answer, or at least what he's done is he's He's diverted the question away and he said, no, what you're really wondering about is this. And he's dealt with it. Notice what he does in this question, chapter, chapter 12, verse 32. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives this morning. Father, give us an understanding of, Father, what it means to love you. Father, and give us understanding of how we are to love you. With all that we are. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Mark is explaining to us in the simplest of forms what our relationship with God is like. What are we supposed to do toward God? The answer is love God. Then the question becomes, how are we to love God? And the answer is, with all that we are, 
heart, soul, mind, strength, every fiber, every ounce of our being, we are to love God in this way. And so we're seeing in this text three things this morning. Notice first, notice this sincere question. It's found in verse 28. We didn't read this verse, but look at verse 28. And one of the scribes came to him having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, he asked Jesus, what is the first commandment of all? So he's not asking What's the first commandment on the list? Because the first commandment on the list is, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. That's the first commandment. He's not asking him first on the list. He's asking Jesus, what is the most important commandment? What's first by way of priority? What, what pleases God the most? And so he's asking Jesus to prioritize the commandments. Now, here's why he's asking this question. Because among the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there was this raging debate for centuries of, of what commandments were more important. So when this scribe is asking Jesus, what is the first commandment, the most important commandment? What is the commandment that pleases God above every other commandment? You, you need to know he's not just thinking about the Ten Commandments. How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments before? How many of you know the Ten Commandments? Well, don't raise your hand on that one. We don't want to find that one out. But did you know this, that there are actually more than Ten Commandments in the Bible? In fact, there's over 600 commandments in the Bible. There's over 600 Old Testament commandments where Moses told the people of God, this is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. And what they had done in Jesus' day, and the day before that, is they had taken all of these commandments, some 250 plus do's, and over 300 don'ts, and they had prioritized them. They said, these ones are really important, and these ones are less important. These ones will get you in big trouble, and these ones, well, they'll get you, they'll get you in a little trouble. And so they, they ranked the commandments. They took the law of God, and they divided it into misdemeanors and felonies. That's a language that we all can understand. They, they, they took the law of God and they said, this is, this is serious and this, this is not so serious. Uh, you better get a lawyer if you do one of these. This, this will be a slap on the wrist. It won't, be, it won't be a big deal. Now, before you're too hard on the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes for doing that, we, we have to be honest, we do the same thing. We, we take the, the sins against God, and we say, well, there are some big sins and there are some little sins. There are some really bad things that you probably shouldn't do, like kill people. And even that, that's a 50-50. depends on who you kill. And then there are some things that are not that bad. I mean, nobody's perfect. It's just a little white lie. And we divide them the same way. 
We say, well, with God, there are some major sins. And with God, there are some minor sins. With God, there are some felonies. With God, there are some misdemeanors. And let me tell you how most of the time that goes. Most of the time that is divided like this. Any sin that you struggle with, that's a major sin. And any sin that I struggle with, that's a minor sin. And this is how we treat most people. Your sins, they're really bad. My sins, they're not that bad. Your, your sins are felonies. You, you better get a lawyer for God. My sins, they're misdemeanors. They're not that bad. And so God will overlook my sins because they're not as bad as your sins. Is that true? No, of course not. And Paul helps us understand this in the book of Galatians. Paul writes to the church and he writes to the church at Galatia and he says, no, no, no. If you have violated in any manner, if you have broken any of the laws, then you are guilty in all points of having violated the law. No, no, if you broke, the, if you broke God's law here, well, then you've broke God's law everywhere else. And so Paul helps us understand that although our human nature is to want to rationalize and justify our own sin, excuse away our own sin, while we find cause to blame and judge other people for their sins, Paul helps us understand, no, no, no all sin is a sin against a holy and a righteous God. And sin separates us from that God. The Bible says this, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The reason people die, the reason people get sick, the reason there's hurricanes and tragedies and tornadoes and earthquakes is because of sin. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 3 that sin broke the world that we live in. Sin not only broke the world that we live in and put us under a curse, the curse of death, but sin did such, such much more than that in that it separated us from a holy and a righteous God. So that if you die separated from a holy and righteous God, you will be separated from that God for all of eternity in a place that the Bible calls hell. Sin is no small thing. Breaking the law and the word of God is no little thing. And yet this man comes to Jesus and he says, listen, we've ranked all the commandments. And so according to you, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? What's the most important? You'll notice the priority of the commandments. But notice second, notice the posture of this man's heart. Look, look, look down in verse, look down in verse number 32. I'm sorry, verse number 34. Jesus saw that he, this scribe, this man who asked him this question, Jesus saw that he answered discreetly. And Jesus perceived this man's, this man's heart. What's, what's rare with Jesus is that he answers a question directly. Jesus' answers to questions are normally in response to what he sees in that person's heart. Jesus, unlike you and me, Jesus is able to judge motive. Jesus is able to read the intent of the heart. Jesus is able to understand the thought of the mind. And so Jesus listens to this man's question. He sees the sincerity in this man's heart, the genuineness behind the question. And Jesus answers the man directly. The answer is, of course, in verse 29, 
First of all, the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. This is the most important thing. This is the priority. And the second is like unto it, or the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. You see, friend, this helps us understand something about our approach to God, that if we come to God, if we come to Christ with humility, to know him, to know what is true, to know what is right. The Bible helps us understand that he receives us. But hear me, if we approach God like these religious leaders, if we approach God with pride, if we approach Christ with no real desire to know him, if we approach him in arrogance or self-righteousness, if we approach God in this way, the Bible helps us understand that God rejects us. The posture of our hearts is very important as we approach Jesus. The posture of our heart is very important as we approach God and the word of God. The posture of your heart this morning, how is it? Is the posture of your heart this morning one toward God as, Lord, I want to, I, I genuinely want to know what you would have for me. I genuinely want to pursue you. I'm not coming to you with my list of demands. God better be like this. God better answer this. God better do this. No, I'm coming to you with a sincere heart of humility, one of sincerity, genuineness. If we approach the Lord in this way, the Bible helps us understand that God receives us. God hears us. God does not turn away from us. God does not reject us in this way. Seek the Lord and you'll find him. Ask, and he'll answer you. Knock, and he'll open the door. Seek, ask, knock. This is, this is the instruction from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe the greatest sermon to ever be delivered. It's the instruction from Jesus for us that we should be seeking, that we should be asking, that we should be knocking. But we should be doing these things with a heart, with a posture in our heart of genuine humility like this scribe comes with. It's a sincere question, but notice this second. It's a straightforward explanation. It's a straightforward explanation. Jesus answered him. He just right to it. Jesus answered him. The first of all commandments, look at verse 29, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and, the, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So because the scribe was sincere, Jesus' answer is direct. He's straightforward. And Jesus quotes from a part of the Old Testament. It's the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. It's what's called the Shema. Every good Jewish person would have recited these words in the morning before they went about their day and would have recited these words in the evening before they, before they fell asleep. And Jesus quotes them this passage in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And you should love God in these ways. 
with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. So what is the greatest commandment? What's the highest priority of God for people everywhere and all time? It is namely this, love God supremely. Love God supremely. Notice what he says, how we love God. To, to truly love him, we must, we must know him. Look what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So to truly love God, you must know God. And if you do not know him, then you cannot, you cannot love him. And what Jesus is saying is, there is only one God. This is true. There is only one God. And He is real. He's as real as gravity. And Jesus is saying, if you want to know me, then you must know Him. And in order for you to know Him, you must read the word that He has given to you, which reveals Himself to us. You and I do not have the luxury of coming up with a God of our own making. We don't, do, we don't get to invent God. We don't get to say things like, well, I think God is like fill in the blank. You see, the reason we don't, we don't get to do that is because God has in his word already revealed to us who he is. The Bible is the revelation of God. The Bible is the revelation of God from God. The Bible is the revelation of God from God, listen, for you and me. The Bible is God saying, here is what I am like. Here is what I do. Here are the attributes that I possess. Here is the plan that I have. Here is the way in which I work in the world. This is what is given to us in the word of God. That is why the Bible is the greatest gift given to you and I. Because we can hold it and we can know it and we can read it. And the Bible teaches us that we can hide God's word in our heart so that we might not sin against God. The Bible is God's full revelation of himself for you. And Jesus says, thou shalt... If you want to love God, he says, thou shalt hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. He is one Lord. The Bible is the revelation of God. And when most people hear that, they say things like, well, that's just, that sounds really narrow. That, 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 that sounds really exclusive. That only the Bible gets to define God. Well, follow me on this point. Imagine someone comes up to you and says... I am going to write a book about you. Wow. Okay. Well, what's, what's going to be in the book about me? And imagine the person says, well, what I'm going to write is I'm going to write that I think of you as an astronaut, a person who's brilliant at math, but a person who is abrasive and terrible at relationships. That is what I'm going to write the book about you about. What would your response be? Your response would be, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. I'm not an astronaut. And I'm not brilliant at math. I hate math. 
And actually, I'm not abrasive or terrible in relationships. I'm good with relationships. That, that, book is, that book is nothing about me. Uh, and imagine the person goes, eh, it's, it's how I think of you. So it's true. And in many ways, this is exactly what we do with God. We say, well, I think God is like this, and I think God is like that, and I like a God who does these things, and this is the kind of God that seems palatable to me, and this is the kind of God that would be acceptable in our culture or society today, because all of those older and ancient ideas of God and judgment and his word and commandments, all of that, I don't know that that's, I don't know that's going to be well received, so I'm going to make up my own version of who God is, and the same way in which you and I would say, that book about an astronaut brilliant at math who's terrible at relationships is not about me. God hears those kinds of things and says that is not for me. That is not about me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. God must be treated and honored in the same way that you would want your own reputation treated and honored. God is the greatest reality in the universe. God is to be the subject, Jesus says, who is given all of our love, our devotion, our worship, our strength. We're to love God in this way. Why? Why are we to love God with all of this in us? And the answer from the Apostle John is this. We love him because... He gave us a Lexus. No, that's not. If that's what your Bible says, you got, you got the wrong one. No, no. We love him because he first loved us. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, well, pastor, how did God love me? Dave, how did God love me? Here's the greatest way that God loved us. God loved us. God commended, Paul says in the book of Romans. God proved. That's what that word commended means. He proved it. He showcased it. God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God loved you. God loved you. God loved me in that while we were sinning, Christ was dying on the cross for us. John chapter 3, verse 16, maybe the greatest verse in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible is replete with the message, God loves you. God demonstrated his love for you. And the proper response to the love of God is that we would love him in return. We do not love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, to get God to love us. We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because God has already loved us. J.C. Ryle tells a, a story about an Englishman who in the 
the days of Americans' pioneership, they were traveling across America at the time, and he, this Englishman meets up with an Indian. And the Indian begins to tell the Englishman with great enthusiasm about Jesus, about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has done, about how Jesus came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died an atoning death on the cross, but then raised three days later from the dead. The Englishman who is rather reserved says to his new friend, he says, why, why are you always talking about Jesus Christ? Why are you always making such a big deal about him? The Indian thought for a second and he, he knelt down, he, he gathered some leaves together, he, he gathered some twigs, he put some moss, he, he placed them all in a circle on the ground. The Indian then went and found a live worm. He put the worm in the middle of the twigs and he set the twigs on fire. He took a stick and he hit the fire. The fire raised up a little higher, it burned a little hotter. The worm began to move every which way looking for a way out. But every way that the worm moved, he got closer to the flame. Till eventually the worm realized there was no way out. He curled up into the middle of the sticks and he prepared to die. And right at that time, the Indian reached his hand into the flame. He picked up the worm and he pulled it right to his heart. The Indian looked at the Englishman and he said, I was that worm. Helpless, hopeless, on the brink of eternal fire. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he saved me from the fire. And he took me to the heart of God. That is why I make much of Jesus. Why? Love God because God loved me. Why give God all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because God gave me all his heart, all of his soul all of his mind, all of his strength, when he gave me his only begotten son on the cross. Love God supremely. Love God for who he is and how he is revealed himself in the word of God. But love God with all that you are. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen how they stack up. No part of you is reserved from loving God. Because there was no part of God that was reserved in loving us. Love God with your reasoning. Love God with your feelings. Love God with your intellect. Love God with your emotion. 
Love God with your physical life. Love God, heart, soul, mind, strength. It's a way of saying, love God with your whole being. Love God. And God is not satisfied with anything less than whole devotion. Whole life devotion. For the whole duration of our lives. We are commanded to love God in this way. This coming uh, June, Amanda and I will celebrate our 22nd wedding anniversary. Is that right? Okay, I'm just making sure. (laughs) If as we approached our 22nd wedding anniversary... You decided you were going to write an article about that, and in the article you had to interview me. If in the, if in the interview, your, your responsibility was to find out if I truly loved Amanda, what, what kind of questions would you ask? If your job in interviewing me was to find out if I truly loved Amanda. What kind of questions would you ask? Let's do it. Let's do a little exercise. Anybody got a question they would ask? What do you got? What would you ask? Say it really loud, though. Ooh, would I die for her? (laughs) Taking notes on this one. Okay. What? I'm sorry? Am I devoted to? I got to write this. Some of you write these down. I'm giving you marriage counseling right now. Write it down. I'm not even charging you for it, okay? Devoted to her. Very good. What do you have, Mark? Ooh, what are her aspirations? I don't know that I know that yet, but... What do you got? Ooh, well, it depends on what she did. Uh, let's see. Yes, ma'am, Miss Helen. You got to say it louder. I can't hear you. Ooh, what I do the dishes. <laughs> See the difference between how a woman thinks and how a man thinks? All the men are like, do you know her dreams? And she's like, did you do dishes? I don't care about the dreams. Susanna. Ooh, the worshiper. Okay. Ouch. Okay, I'm going to do one more, but it better be a good one. Better be a good one. Let me see. Anybody got one? We're just done with these? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I put her needs before my needs. Okay. Okay, watch. So your job to find out if I love her would be to ask me these. Okay, watch. Are you devoted to God? Do you know God's purposes, his aspirations, his plan? For you? You worship God? Are you sensitive to what God is asking you to do? Are you aware of the needs around you that God has strategically placed you here for? You willing to do some dishes? Take a turn in the choir, vacuum the floor, sit in the nursery. Would you die for God? 
It's easy in our lives to distinguish the two. Oh no, well love for God means I just go to church and sing some songs and I go home and I love God. No, no. No, no, I, 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 I love God with heart, soul, mind, strength. See, we're to love God supremely. I don't have time for the whole thing, but let me give you this second thought here. We love God supremely. Notice what he says. When we love God supremely, verse 31, we will love others genuinely. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. Let me tell you this. Love for God, listen, love for God releases the love of God to those around us. That when you love God with all that you are, you will love others with all that you have. I will tell you this, the most important thing you can do for someone is not love them supremely. The most important thing you can do for someone is love God supremely. The most important thing that I can do in my relationship with Amanda is to not love Amanda supremely. No, the most important thing I can do in my relationship with Amanda is be sure that I am loving God the way that I should. Because if I am loving God with all that I am, I will treat Amanda the way that I should. The greatest commandment is love God. But if we are loving God properly, if we are loving God supremely, if we are loving God wholly, then I will treat her the way that I'm supposed to. When we love God supremely, we will love others genuinely. Here, here, here's one thing, though, that complicates this. We're really bad at understanding love. Now, two weeks ago, I had to take Jesse to the dentist. And Jesse, Jesse hates the dentist. I hate the dentist. I mean, not specifically the dentist, just the dentist's office. What happens in the dentist's office? I like her as a person. But if you asked my kids when I'm taking Jesse into the dentist's office and you said, hey, does your dad love you? No, my dad doesn't love you. He's making me go to the dentist. They're going to take all those medieval tools. They're going to drill down in my teeth. They're going to do all kinds of crazy things. No, my dad doesn't love me. Well, why doesn't your dad love me? He makes me go to the dentist. But you and I, we've lived long enough. We're mature enough to understand. No, no. The reason I take him to the dentist is because I do love him. You see, we're, we're really bad at understanding love. And so when we read verses like, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, we think, well, what that means is, 
You should give me, if you're really loving me the way you should, you should give me everything I ask. You should do everything for me that I think. No, 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 no. The most important thing is that we love God supremely. And if we are loving God supremely, then our love for others will be genuine. It will be seen. Why? Because we are in pursuit of God. There are many people who would love to define for us what loving one another means. Well, if you love me, you'll give me money. If you, if you love me, you'll, you'll do all the requests that I ask. If, if you love me, you see, you Christians, you just don't love people enough. Like they, they say this. You Christians, you just don't love people enough because if you loved me, you would line up with me on whatever cultural issue that there may be. No, no, if you truly loved your neighbors as yourself, you would line up with me on whatever political view I may have. And in that context, loving our neighbors is reduced to some kind of situational ethic. Loving our neighbors is reduced to some kind of superficial understanding of a cultural moment. That, that, that does not hold up against Bible scrutiny. That is not what Jesus is calling for. No, no, the one who commands us to love our neighbors, the one who commands us to love one another also gets to define what that love is. Do you know the Bible specifically tells you the ways that you're to love one another? Did you know that? It, it, it's, not, it's not arbitrary. It's not, just, it's, not just, it's not just up in the air. It's not subjective to whatever cultural moment we may be in. No, no, no. Love of one another commanded to us from God through his word is also defined for us in his word. You know what God's word says expressions of love are? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that we would encourage one another. We love one another by encouraging one another. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19, we love one another by singing together. That's a, that's a demonstration of the love that we have. Hebrews chapter 10, we love one another by stirring up ourselves to good works. We love one another, Hebrews 10, by caring for one another, including the sick. There's so many other commandments strictly commanded to us by God. Romans 12, Romans 16, Romans 14, Galatians 6, Ephesians 4, Philippians 2, Colossians 3, Hebrews 3, James 5, 1 Peter 1, and on and on I could keep going with the ways that God says, no, this is how you love one another. You see? You see why we take God's word and we say, no, 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 we love God supremely because when we are reading the word of God as he's revealed to us himself, his plan for us, then we're living that out and it's understood, not in some cheap, shallow, cultural moment. It's understood through the realm of time as loving God and loving others. This is what all of the law and the prophets 
Hang on, Jesus says. You understand that expression? He's saying love of God, or love for God and love of others. It's what all of the law and the prophets, it's what it, it's what it hangs on. You can't rightly understand all 600 Old Testament commandments if you take away love of God and love of others. But if you understand love for God, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I love God supremely, then I'll love others genuinely. That's where it hangs. It's a straightforward answer. It's a sincere question. It's a shocking conclusion. Watch this. I won't explain it. I'm just going to read it. So this scribe hears all of this. Verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, Jesus says to him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. The, the, the scribe heard everything that Jesus said. He answered Jesus' answer back by saying, yeah, you're right, that, that is worth more than all of the burnt offerings. But Jesus says, you're close. You're not far from the kingdom. But you're not in. You see, friend, there is an in and an out in the kingdom of God. I kind of I like some ideas about Jesus. I like some things you said. I, I, I relate with some of the stuff. I just can't accept all of it. Well, you're close. But you aren't in. That's what he's saying. You're not far from the kingdom. This scribe was aware that what Jesus had said was true. This scribe knew massive amounts of scripture. He worshipped daily in the temple. He served his religious community. He gave tithe on everything that he possessed. He was revered and respected by everyone around him. He even approached Jesus with a straightforward, honest, sincere question. Other people around him were trying to trap Jesus. This man just genuinely wants to know. But he does not accept what Jesus says. So he's close. But he's not in. And I will tell you this, friend. Being close is not the same as being in. The Bible teaches us that in the last days, there'll be many that stand before God and they say to God, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not cast out devils? 
Our understanding of that would be, Lord, Lord, didn't I go to church? Didn't I help the poor? Didn't I sing the songs? Didn't I, didn't I fellowship with the Christians? But in that day, the Lord will say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. Rejected. Why? Because they would not accept what the word of God says. I'm not asking you today if you're close. I'm asking you today, are you in? Has there been a time in your life when you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, how he is revealed in the scripture, and you've made him yours? You've turned away from your self-righteousness. You've turned away from your justification of sin. You've turned away from sin itself, and you've believed wholly on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you... Have you accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior? That's the first question I'm asking you. Here's the second question. Do you love God this morning with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Every fiber of your being. Every ounce of your energy. Every part of you, you're saying, I love God with all of me. There's no part of me that I'm reserving. There's no part of me I'm pulling back. Lord, I love you with all that I am. Which would show up. It'll show up in the way that we love one another. It'll show up in the way that we obey the word of God and pursue God himself.